Amen. You can open your Bibles to 1 Peter. We started last week a study in 1 Peter. I'm excited about it. Looking forward to going through it. If you would, we're, we're just going to pick up in verse 3. We're going to read 3 through 5, those three verses. And uh, we covered the, in, basically the introduction last week and the first two verses of, of this epistle. So let's pick up in verse 3 and we'll read down through verse 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so this, um, this epistle is rich. Every one of God's uh, epistles, you know, and His Word is rich, but this is just loaded with doctrine. You know, Paul, Paul only wrote these two letters, first and second Peter, but he got his money's worth. And then out of, out of these two, they're short little books, but they're just loaded. They're wonderful. I know the ladies are studying on uh, their Bible study on Tuesday night. They're doing the, uh, the book of James. A lot of similarities here, especially in this chapter and in the chapter of James that, that y'all have been studying, chapter 1. Um, but Paul, uh, Peter is writing to Christians that are scattered abroad. And similar to, uh, to Hebrews, where he's writing to Jewish Christians that are being persecuted, I believe this is primarily Jewish Christians he's writing to, but not necessarily only Jewish Christians, but they're scattered abroad because they were persecuted. It wasn't just like they wanted to move and go somewhere. These Christians were being persecuted because of their faith. You know, God has things like that in His master plan because by the, by the persecution of the church, believe it or not, that is the times when the church is purified the most, people get serious about the Lord, and it separates the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, and people are pressing in to be more dependent upon God than ever before. And they're also, uh, they're going wherever they go, wherever they're being scattered, they're going and they're bringing his reproach outside the camp. They're, in other words, they're bringing their testimony of Jesus Christ and this saving gospel with them. So if there's no believers in some country and per Christians are persecuted, they flee there. You know, that God's always moving people. All the refugee situations over in like, Burma and Thailand and Myanmar and then uh, in Syria and these other countries, if they're believers, God can be moving them or maybe they're lost and they're coming to a country that has a strong Christian uh, witness or testimony. God has it for a reason. Mm -hmm. So his people never, never in this country, never will we ever be persecuted just for no reason. Like it's just all in Satan's control. We're just getting beat up. It's never that way. We're living in an ungodly world that hates us and hates the Lord and hates the Word of God and is persecuting Christ. Okay, remember when the, when the Lord met uh, Saul on the road to Damascus? Why are you persecuting me? And so the Lord, I mean, the, the devil in this ungodly world is persecuting Christ in you and me. Don't be surprised by it. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that next week. Uh, we're re to rejoice in these trials. But I just wanted you to know this is who he's writing to He's writing to believers. Isn't that, is that not applicable in every age? It is. You know, I mean, it, yes, there are times more severe persecution than others. And certainly there are places that have worse persecution than others. But every believer faces a measure of persecution. I don't believe it's going to lighten or lessen in the years ahead. Do you? I, I'm, it's not a gloom and doom. It's just according to the Word of God. You know, the love of many is going to wax cold. It's going to get worse. Deceiving and being deceived and the things that are going to be going on. And so we take great comfort from this. And we take great heart because it's the living Word of God. We were talking on Sunday mornings. We started our series on, uh, on Sunday morning on the ministry of the Word. And so this is part of that ministry right here to comfort believers in their affliction. And so don't get bored with doctrine. Don't think it's just boring. Doctrine is simply what we believe. If he's talking about elect according to the foreknowledge of God, by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, by sanctification of the Spirit, that's back in verse 2. These are rich things. They're deep things. They have to do with our lives. They have to do with, 
what the Lord's done in us and for us and how he's done it. And he wants us to know that. And so I just want us to pick up in verse 3 just real quickly. It says, Blessed be the God and Father. So it's, an, it's a praise to the Lord to start this, this verse 3. It's ascribing glory to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a living hope. All right, actually it's a hope uh, of living again. It says, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, uh, we're born again. You know, I know these are simple things and basic things, y'all, but we are what we are today in Christ because we're born again. Amen. Because we, did, we didn't join our church. That we're, we're part of the body of Christ, which is a church. You understand? We didn't just put our name on a roll. We didn't uh, just mentally agree to a certain doctrinal facts and say, well, I'm going to align myself with Christianity. Something very real took place. There was a transaction that took place where, where Christ begot us again unto a living hope. He birthed us again. And so uh, we're born again of the Spirit, the Spirit of Almighty God, the eternal Spirit that's lived forever and eternity past that God's breathed in, in His Spirit upon creation and created all things. That Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We're born of that Spirit. We weren't before. We were created in the image of God like all men, in His image. But we didn't have His Spirit indwelling us. We weren't born again. And now we're the sons and daughters of God. And so it's a living hope. And it's a hope that's based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now think about it. What if Jesus had done all the things that He did... And but he didn't raise from the dead. What if he had done all the miracles? He had done all of the, uh, you know, preached all the sermons. His life would have been fulfillment of all the prophecies that were written about him in the Old Testament. Everything would have been so. But if he says, "I'm going to raise again the third day," I'll lay my life down and take it up again. What if he didn't raise from the dead? It says in First Corinthians that we would, above all men, we'd be most miserable. Okay, but now is Christ risen from the dead, and because He lives, we live. That was God's stamp of approval, basically. That was God's sealing, uh, <clears throat> almost like crowning moment, moment for Jesus. You know, it looks, looks like he's going down, down, down. He's getting arrested. He's getting mocked. He's getting spat upon. He's bleeding. He's getting beat. He's carrying a wooden cross. He's, everything's looking down, down, down. Peter thinks it's going down, down. He denies the Lord. He's afraid. And that's just, it's, it's at night. You know what I mean? Everything's just as dark. And, and yet, three days later, we're going to celebrate this at Easter, but he rises from the dead, and that is God's stamp of approval, his crowning moment, saying, yes, 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 this is the one, and see, here he is, he's risen from the dead, he appeared to over 500 witnesses at one time, besides the disciples, at least three occasions, he appeared to over 500 in his resurrected uh, state after the resurrection. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is basically our guarantee and the Holy Spirit living inside of us. <clears throat> the Bible says in Romans 6, 4, that the same Christ, if the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. You know, we're to walk in newness of life. If that's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. We're the children of God. We belong to the, to the Lord. And so, <clears throat> let's look at verse 4 and... and uh, we're going to kind of look at it and kind of go back over it just a little bit. But this talks about our inheritance, okay? Our inheritance. To an inheritance, and this is a description of our inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and it fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. And so we're begotten from sin and death, but we're begotten from sin and death unto something. Onto an, an inheritance. And remember, uh, I think it's in Hebrews where it uh, speaks about that we have a table to come to in the Lord that those outside the camp, outside of Christ, have no part of. They're not part of this. It can be. But at this point in time, an unbeliever has no part in this, like what we're doing tonight. Worshiping the Lord in spirit and truth. Calling God our Father. Having our sins forgiven. Coming into the Holy of Holies through the veil that's been torn because of Jesus. Now, unbeliever doesn't have that 
in their life at this point. They have no access to that. They're outside the camp. They're strangers <laughs> from the Lord. But we do. And another thing that we have is an inheritance that they don't have. If we're sons of God, then heirs. If children, then heirs. Okay? If we're sons, then heirs. That applies to that. And so, this is a brief description. I'm going to get into more detail, but just a description of our inheritance. It means our possession. It's not fully realized yet. It's going to be fully realized, but it's ours now. And the Holy Spirit sealing us, as it says in Ephesians, unto the day of redemption is an earnest of that expectation. It's a down payment that everything that's in heaven is ours today. That's why it says in Ephesians, we've been made, past tense, to sit together in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. We have not walked on the streets of gold, but they're ours. You understand what I'm saying? They're not just going to be ours. They're ours now, even though we haven't walked on yet. We're just not there yet. But because uh, God has other things for us. But this is a description of our possession. Incorruptible, that means it's immortal. Immortal. It's undefiled. That speaks of its purity. It's, it speaks of its, uh, its unsoiled. Okay? And just listen, that's a description of Jesus. And you would, you would believe that the inheritance that Christ has for his children is going to be like Jesus himself. And it says in Hebrews 7, For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled. Same word here. Our possession is, our inheritance is undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. That, that possession and that inheritance that we have is set apart for Jesus and is set apart for all those that are in Christ. Nobody outside of Christ. It says in Revelation 4, without are dogs. You notice how it's described and just unbelievers. They're without. They're outside. But in this possession and in this camp, is going to be um, the Lord Jesus and those who by faith, Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, that have given their lives to the Lord. They were saved by grace through faith. Mm -hmm. And it says that, that he's holy. Christ is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. And that's what our possession is going to be as well. And it says it fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. That means it's guarded. Okay? It's guarded. And uh, just, just listen to this. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to be reading from Matthew 6, 19 and 20 in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, Lay not, not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. So just think about it. I know we know the scripture. What happens to treasures on earth? Where moth and rust does corrupt. But our inheritance is incorruptible. Okay? Reserved where? In heaven for you. Lay not for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. A great difference because our, our inheritance, our possession is reserved or guarded in heaven for us. There's not a thief that's going to come up there and take anything from heaven are from the Lord, but take anybody that belongs to Jesus and you know and take them away from the Lord. So I want to read, as I said, I've been going through this this uh, <clears throat> F. B. Meyer book on on First Peter, and he he gives some great analogies just about what we talked about. For example, a little infant, little baby. I guess uh, well, Sarah Hope's our youngest in the church. A little baby has no uh, at that moment in her life has no uh, conception of whatever inheritance. So they're talking about just in a natural sense, okay? The inheritance that will be hers one day. Let's say a child of a, of a king in some foreign country or whatever, and they might have all this property belongs to your daddy, you know what I mean, and your mama. All this, uh, this lineage of who's who in the world, that's your ancestors. All these possessions, all of this is yours, little infant. That little infant at the time is not enjoying it, really, has no conception of it, but is it theirs? It's absolutely theirs at that moment. It's theirs now. They possess it now, but they're not uh, realizing it fully right now. And that's a lot how it is for us as Christians. A lot of times we're just getting up, you know, we're living another day, 
we're sleepy, we're eating, we're working, we're, we're raising children, those that have children, we're going about our business, uh, certainly walking with the Lord. And at times, God can take what's eternal and make it very real to us. It's like it's, there's certain times where it all is more real to us. But fully uh, realizing all that possession, that's still out there ahead of us, right? And it's kind of like this little baby. And so, same thing, you know, for us, that through faith in Jesus, soon as somebody, and they know nothing about the Bible, but somebody shares the gospel with them, and at that moment they have saving faith to believe. And they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That same possession that the Bible describes, and that the Holy Spirit makes real in our hearts, is theirs, just like it is yours. Right now, it's theirs. It's their possession and their inheritance. They haven't enjoyed it yet. And so that's what he's talking about. It's, it's out there. It's out there in front of us. And, uh, and so think about this. The Bible says that uh, it's, it's, we're, we're going to see him and we'll know him even as we're known of him. And our greatest possession, we should never forget this, and I appreciate F.B. Meyer writes this in his book. Our possession is the Lord. Our possession is the Lord himself. And that ought to be our greatest joy. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and say, oh, Jesus, good to meet you, but I sure want to go see those streets of gold. You know what I mean? Or, or Lord, you know, thank you so much for saving me, but I want to go see that Crystal River. I mean, I'm, we're going to see it all. But my point is, He is our possession. Mm -hmm. And He is what makes heaven heaven. Amen. And He's the light. There's no need of the sun. It doesn't say there won't be the sun necessarily. It says there's no need of the sun because the Lamb is going to be the light thereof. Just listen to this. I love this. I'm, I'm going to be reading from Numbers 18, 20 if you're taking notes. <clears throat> this was God's law for the Jewish priesthood. For Aaron, when this law was first being given, the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them, and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. Because, he says, the Lord's going to be your portion. The Lord's going to be your portion. And David said the same thing. And he was glad. He was a king. He had all this before him. And he was very content. He gladly surrendered all his, all his portion in this life. If only he might be satisfied with God. Psalm 17, 15. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance. And my, of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. He's talking about what's his. And so, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion. This prosperity gospel that's preached, it's been popular for the last, what, 30 years? I don't know how long it's been uh, with uh, a lot of the faith movement. And somebody, you know, one kind of fades out and another minister comes up and, and popularizes it again. But this prosperity preaching is not taught in the gospel. How is that going to work in a country where the people barely have enough food to eat? If they just believe hard enough, is all of a sudden a Rolls Royce going to come there? They don't have streets to drive them on. It doesn't work. That's not what the promise is. The promise is I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor God sees begging for bread. The promise is I made you the head and not the tail. The promise is my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The promise is eternal life. The promise is the Lord is your portion. The Lord is your portion. The promise is that everyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus is going to suffer persecution. But be of good cheer, right? I've overcome the world and so forth. The promise is we are going to walk on streets of gold. We are going to eat from a tree of life. We are going to uh, drink from a crystal river. We are going to reign and rule with Jesus Christ. We are going to be a place where there's rest. There's a rest that remains for the people of God. So those are promises. So that prosperity gospel is very carnal. Mm -hmm. It's very carnal. It's very misleading. It's not of the Lord. It gets people's hopes on earthly things. When Paul says, you know, look at the things that are temporal, right? The things that are temporal, um, they're going to pass away. The things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. And we fix our hopes upon it. Those athlete, athletes in the Olympic Games, they ran to receive a corruptible crown. And 
you know, it's not knocking that. It's just simply comparing it to our crown. Mm -hmm. That crown would be uh, uh, like olive leaves or whatever kind of leaves they would make this crown. They would set it on the athlete that won that race or wrestling match or whatever, and they trained and trained and trained and trained and trained and suffered and everything for that moment, and they got it, but it's made of something corruptible and it's going to pass away literally in a matter of days or weeks. It will have lost its glory. Somebody else will be a new champ here, here soon. But they do it to obtain a, a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And so don't we, we don't fall for it. I know we know that. We don't want to be deceived by it. But the, this prosperity gospel is not what the Lord would have us to preach or believe or hold to. does not mean that he cannot bless us with things in this life. But those can't be our treasures. You know, we said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures. He might bless you with a lot of things. But I promise you, if he blesses you and me with a lot of things, uh, you know, carnal things, and he blesses us with that, he is requiring something back from that. Okay? Not just our tithes, but too much is given, much is required. To be generous, to be Christ-like, to be giving, to hold on to it loosely. Because it can come... And it can spread, spread wings and fly away, uh, Solomon says in Proverbs, and it can be gone tomorrow. Don't make that your treasure. Nothing wrong with having nice things and nothing wrong with working for things to have nice things. To have a, something nicer than what you have now. Don't let that be your God. And don't let it be all that you are about. And if God doesn't let you get what you thought you were going to get, don't be mad at it. Be thankful for what you have. We have it in corruptible inheritance that's coming our way. Our inheritance is God himself. It's not the golden harps. It's not the sea of glass made with fire. It's not rest from pain and immunity from sorrow. We're heirs of God. I never thought of it that way. I just, heirs of God. In other words, that is, God is, is what we're going to inherit. And so, uh, it's everything that he has. Uh, whom have I in heaven but thee? It says in Psalm 73. Who do we have in heaven? There's a song we sing about that. But our inheritance, though we haven't fully realized it, it does begin here. Okay? It does begin here. From the first moment of conversion, as we said, it is ours. And our inheritance will be perfected or completed. That's what the biblical term perfected means fulfilled or completed afterwards. It's reserved in heaven for us. Just real quickly, it's incorruptible. That means it's not subject to decay. That's what it means. And everything else in this life, even things that, you know, 50 years stainless steel or whatever, everything's subject to corruption. Because this planet we live on, we've talked about it in Second Peter, is going to be refined with fire. Even the elements, the atoms, the molecules are going to be so heated and changed and refined and purified of the taint of sin. Even the creation itself is growing for this redemption. And we're going to receive new bodies that aren't corruptible. We ought to be thankful for that. Amen? Mm -hmm. And remind ourselves of that. Undefiled, it says. And that undefiled speaks of, of again, of the purity. Not just that it won't decay, but it's pure, like morally pure. It's undefiled. It's not tainted by sin. Nobody <clears throat> is ever going to set foot and the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem that's not washed in the blood of Jesus. We're not redeemed by faith. Okay? Nobody. The only people there, nobody will come up there for a few minutes or something like that. They're not going to inhabit that. It is not for that. So it would never be tainted by sin. It is an amazing thing. All we know is a fallen world. All we know is argument. Somewhere somebody's getting kidnapped. Somebody somewhere is getting abused. Somewhere some, somebody's fighting right now. And somewhere there's disease and sickness. You know what I'm saying? That's all we know. We're just used to it. Our bodies ache. We're tired. We didn't even get enough sleep. So we wake up more tired than yesterday. We're confused about something. Whatever. It's just all the, the effects of sin. But there's coming a day where we're going to enter into a kingdom in a glorified body like our Lord's body where sin never once, once tainted it. There might be hurricanes, you know what I mean? There won't be heat waves. There won't be fire ants, you know, biting you. There won't be roaches running around. You know how in the Bible, uh, leprosy, it was a, it's a real disease, but it's a picture of sin, okay? A picture of sin. 
there's laws in Leviticus, and you think, what am I reading about laws of leprosy in Leviticus? You know, you, know, you read that, and it talks about if you find it in the wall, the plaster of your house, you got to scrape it out, and then you test it. All, if you find it in a woolen garment, you, know, you need to do this. If you find it in a wooden bowl, you have to do this. There's all these specific things about leprosy. It spreads. It's contagious. It gets in walls. It gets in clothes. But that's a picture of sin. It affects everything. It's from the human heart. It's out of the heart of man proceeds murders and fornication and all these things. But um, it, it taints everything. And so there are laws, there were laws given to the Israelites about infected garments, infected houses. Because sin, a leprosy is a picture of sin. Evil dwells everywhere, and it just surrounds us. Now we're sealed and we're protected, but at the same time, uh, all that's going to enter into that heaven is going to be the pure. Christ makes us pure. We're no good sinners apart from Jesus. Mm -hmm. Guilty as could be and undeserving of that inheritance. But now we're in Christ. Okay? We're not what we were. We're born of His Holy Spirit, washed in the blood of Jesus. We are not what we were before, and He has fit us for His heaven. If we die right now, you might have sinned on the way here tonight, but if you die right now, you're going to heaven. You're going to inherit this. It's yours. Okay, because what Christ has done for us. The Bible says that pure in heart shall see God. Well, the Lord's the one that makes our hearts pure. Okay, the Lord does that, and we accept Him by faith and give our lives to Him. Uh, the author says we cannot enjoy that inheritance if we don't enjoy purity. So think about that. It's pretty simple. But if heaven is pure, it's holy. It's not like Las Vegas where people save up their money to go indulge in a bunch of, man, I can't wait to get out there, I'm going to gamble, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I want the lights and glitter and all the, the darkness and the sin and everything that goes with it. And they think that's living it up. We're, we're going to a place that's holy. Amen. And we're going to be with a God that's holy. We're going to be with the redeemed of the ages. And if we don't love the Lord now and holiness now, I don't know why we think we would enjoy it there. We need God to pure, help purify our desires because we do still have temptations. We are drawn to things that we shouldn't be drawn to. But that shouldn't be uh, the norm. You know what I mean? Living in that 24-7. And so the pure in heart are going to see God. It's unfading. It's beauty doesn't fade away. It doesn't, it's not, you know, you look at something, uh, you know, we got a new roof on our house. I love it. You know, we got a new roof about three weeks ago or whatever. And I said, wow, I didn't realize how bad the old one was until I saw this new one. You know, thank you, Lord. But it's going to fade away, too. You know what I mean? It's all going to fade away. But nothing in heaven is going to fade away. It, it doesn't become uh, monotonous, either. In other words, like, you ever thought about the angels? The Bible says they cease not around the throne of God right now, saying, holy, 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 and they fall down before the Lord. And they get up again, they look at him, and they say, holy, holy, holy. You think, just in a natural way, you think, I wonder if they get tired of that. I wonder if that gets old. I wonder if that gets monotonous. I don't believe at all that it does. Because it doesn't, his beauty doesn't fade away. We could look at something beautiful, and let's say if you lived in Colorado. I love Colorado, the mountains and all that. But maybe if I lived there, I'd kind of get used to it. And I just said, sure, I'm going to drive in the snow today. You know what I mean? And it becomes a bother. Whereas the first time I went, I want to go jump around in the snow, you know, and build a snowman and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then it just gets old after a while, even though it's still beautiful. But I don't believe in all the Lord's beauty is like that. Or what he has in heaven for us is going to be that way. So I don't think these angels are not robots. They are... <laughs> Loving what they're doing, worshiping the Lord, and it, every every time probably they look at it, maybe there's some new depth of beauty that they see in the Lord. I don't know, but I, I, it's not. We can't compare it to something on this earth. That's what makes it difficult. Uh, that's why the Lord has to really reveal it to us. But uh, and except it, it's it's uh, it's only because we're saved that we're going to be there, okay? And it all starts with a new birth. And it's a living hope, okay? Now the Bible says we see through a glass darkly, right? We do see, 
And speaking of believers, we see dark, we, we can see a little glimpse of heaven from the Word of God and however much light the Holy Spirit will give to us. Now we see through a glass darkly. The Bible says, then face to face, then we shall know Him. We know Him now. Mm -hmm. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. But it says, then we shall know Him even as we're known of Him. We don't know Him to the extent He knows us. But it's like a full revelation knowledge mm -hmm. where the little blinders, you know, we're seeing it through a glass darkly. We've got to keep cleaning it off because it gets blurred by this world or our own mental shortcomings or whatever it may be. We've got to keep cleaning the glass to try to see through by faith. But there's come a day where we're going to be, we're going to see him face to face with nothing between us. No veil of the flesh. Nothing. Okay? It's going to be amazing. Um, Hope is sometimes said to uh, to die. Like, you know what I mean? Just in life. I had hoped that by this time in my life, I would have accomplished this. I had hoped that this my strange relationship with my strange brother by this time would have been. You know what I mean? And, it, and hope sometimes dies. It does. In this life, it dies. It fades away. It disappoints. But this, what the Bible describes as our inheritance is a living hope. It's not a dying hope. Hopes in this world come and go, and we really felt strongly about it, like we're really going to have that, and it died. Now, if God wants to resurrect it, he can. But I'm just making a point. This world, the hopes that man has in this world, sometimes do lie to us. They don't come to pass, and they do die. But what the Lord has for us can never die. This hope that he has for us is a living hope. He says, worldly hopes often mock men. They're not living, but they're dying ones. We live long enough to bury them. But this hope answers our expectations to the full and deceives in no way, but far exceeds them. This hope that we have in Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? And, and I just thank the Lord for that. And, and I, want to, I want to go to the next verse, and, and probably all we're going to cover one more verse and spend a little time on it, but it's a very important verse in the Bible, is verse 5. We read it to start, and we read it again. 1 Peter 1, 5, who, this is speaking about the believers, there's a comma right at the end of verse 4, okay? Speaking about believers who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, we're saved, and you've probably heard this before, but it's almost like there's three uh, component, components of salvation. Everyone is true, all right? We were saved. Everybody has a birthday, a natural birthday. Everybody has a new birthday, a born-again day as well. You might not remember it, I'm sure you do, but... Uh, even if you don't know the exact date, you, there was a specific day you gave your life to Christ. You can look back, and it's totally right to say, I was saved on that day. Okay? I prayed at a Baptist church in the summer between my junior and senior in high school. And I went down to the altar and prayed. I can remember. I don't remember the day. But I do remember what point in my life it was. And I believe I was saved on that day. But there, we're also, the Bible tells us, being saved. You know, like, in other words, we're in the process of being saved. Saved means to be delivered or preserved. So, um, is, is God not keeping us from day to day? You understand what I'm saying? It's not like I prayed that prayer as a junior in high school, uh, going into my senior year, and then, then God wasn't able to keep me, and I, I went right back in. And you understand what I'm saying? I was saved, but I'm also, as long as we're in this body... On this earth, there's still ongoing salvation for us day to day. We're in the process of being saved. We're in the process of being kept. And then there's a completion to our salvation that's future. So we were saved when we gave our life to Christ in a minute. We're being saved however long we're here on this earth. And there's an end, so to speak, of our salvation that's coming where it's completed. And I believe it has to do with our new bodies, a glorified body, right? Put in a place, God's heaven, where we're not even tempted to sin anymore. We won't struggle with sin anymore. 
everything that's been, God's been working, you know, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, it is my salvation, because I'm saved. But it's your salvation, we're working it out. But we're in the process of being saved, we're going to be saved, say, when we're raptured. Or we're, we die and go be with the Lord. And the rapture takes place and we receive our glorified bodies. And so that's, that's something that's uh, ongoing. So it's not wrong to look at salvation in all three of those lights. They're all true. And it's, it's interesting. He says, if, if we knew that we had this uh, wonderful inheritance reserved in heaven for us, that would not bring us a lot of comfort if we weren't didn't think we could make it till then. You understand what I'm saying? Somebody tells you all about it, um, something on the other part of the planet, and you think, well, I'll never get there, so what good's it going to do me? Mm -hmm. So the fact that God is kept by the power of God, kept means guarded. It's actually a military term. I'm going to read a description of it. There's a couple of scriptures in the Bible. In the Greek, it means uh, it's a military word. Kept means guarded. It says, uh, it's the conception of an armed force employed in sentry, that's guard duty, or escort duty, surrounding their ward, that's the person they're protecting, and interposing a wall of enclosure and defense. So just picture in your mind. Remember when, uh, when Paul was arrested and the Jews laid in wait to kill him, and uh, it came, the Lord let it be known, I think it was Paul's little nephew went and told him and told him, the, the guard, hey, the captain, there's men that are lying outside to wait. As soon as you bring Paul out, they want to kill him. And so by night, secretly, I think he took like, two, I forgot, 270 soldiers and horses and everything, and they snuck Paul out and brought him somewhere else safely. He wasn't going to be touched. They had him safe and sound. They brought him, I think, to Felix, uh, to the next place, Caesarea, where he went. But the point is... Uh, Thus the divine power sur surrounds the saints as a bodyguard. They even though we're sojourning or living in a perilous world, God is protecting us. Okay? You remember when Elisha was and his servant were sleeping and the, the Syrians had come by night and circled their camp. And his little servant wakes up in the morning and goes, Oh my goodness. He looks around, the whole Syrian army has surrounded their city. And he runs back in the tent and he says, Oh, Master, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And all Elisha does is say, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw around the Syrian army there was the host of God. God says, I got it. Everything's okay. But he had to see that spiritually. Okay? He, he was kept. Elijah, Elisha was kept. The city was kept. And, and the Lord is, is our guard. He's our fortress. And he hides us in the secret of his pavilion. Okay? He hides us from this, the, under, under uh, the little schemes and plans of men that are, are out to get you. I'm not trying to make us paranoid, but it's gossip and things where uh, a lion tongue and a, a striving tongue, he protects us from that. We can't guard ourselves from all of that. God has to keep us from that, and he does keep us. Listen to this, this verse from Isaiah 52. You shall go out, you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel shall be your rear reward. He's going to go before you, and he's going to be behind you. You're going to just come on out, and I'm going to be around you. Now you're going to have to run like a chicken with his head cut off, you know, scared, trying to get out. The Lord's going to be the one who guards us. We're kept by the power of God. It does not mean we're kept that we'll never be tempted. You understand that? It doesn't mean that we live in a bubble and we don't get sick, and we don't get mad, and we don't get, you know what I'm saying? It doesn't mean that. It means that we're kept, there's no temptation taking you, but such as common a man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above that you're able. That's the keeping power of God. Amen. But will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Amen. And so that's the keeping. The keeping is not everything's going to be perfect. We're not living in heaven yet. We're living on this earth. 
We're living in these frail bodies. We're living among other people that rub us the wrong way, and we rub them the wrong way. We disappoint ourselves, and we disappoint them, and they disappoint us, and they hurt us, and we hurt them. We don't like the way the government's going. We don't like all of those things. It doesn't mean we're kept in a bubble. It means we're kept from sin. We, we still can be tempted, but we don't have to sin. We don't have to give up hope. He's still got us. We're thrown in prison tomorrow for our faith, and right here in America, he still got us. Amen. Okay, he still has us. We're still kept. He hasn't lost one. That uh, Jesus said, "All that you brought to me, I haven't lost any, except the son of perdition, because it was written, you know, that that he was going to do this." And so God keeps us by His power, and and so I thank the Lord for that. We're not taken out of the world but we're kept from the evil one. Isn't that what the, Jesus said? Father, I pray not that you take them from the world, but that you keep them from the evil one while they're in this world. And so he keeps us in that way. Uh, I want to read one scripture here that I had written down. We're about to close, but uh, it says in 1 Samuel 2, 9, he will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. It's a wonderful scripture. He will keep the feet of his saints. We find promises like that all through the Bible. Mm -hmm. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, and my whom I will trust. Over and over we see the keeping power of God. Old Testament and New Testament. He is a shield. He is a buckler. And what, he, what the Lord does is he is able to keep us blameless. He's able to do that if we, if we keep our eyes upon the Lord. He's able to uh, this world is influencing us and, and trying to exert an influence on us, right? Amen. There's a pressure from the immorality of the world and the darkness of the world. It never lets up. In no point does it let up from trying to make us like the world, right? Mm -hmm. doesn't let up. God is exerting an influence upon us by His mercy, by His grace, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, by the, the wisdom from His Word, he is exerting enough by His power in us to keep us from all that. Mm. It just sometimes it may not seem like that. So we can't focus on the problems and the darkness and the temptation and the weakness. We have to focus on the keeping power of God. Mm -hmm. And so I want to close with with this thought: uh, that is God's will to keep us. Mm -hmm. He didn't save us so that we'd be saved and go back in the world. We read it in this epistle last week in verse 2. We're saved by the sprinkling of blood of Jesus, right? Sanctifying of the Spirit unto obedience. His plan for our lives is that we walk in obedience. Not that we wander off and He's not able to keep us. And so, uh, how is it affected? How is the power of God affected in our lives? It's by the working of the Holy Spirit in us. That is the actual agent, if you want to call it that. He's the third person of the Trinity but it is the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives who keeps us day to day. And how are we kept? We're kept through faith. Amen. And, and I don't want it to be confusing. It can, can be confusing, I guess. But uh, was it God that keeps us or do we keep ourselves? It's the Lord keeps us. It says we're kept by the power of God through faith. So I do have a responsibility not to keep myself from every evil thing, to present myself holy before God one day in His heaven. I don't have that responsibility. I do have that responsibility by faith to keep my eyes on Jesus. As I keep my eyes on Jesus, even though that little faith might be just glimmering like a little candle that's about to blow out, but it's still there, okay? Might be just a grain of a mustard seed faith, but it's real. And I'm having a hard time hanging on right now, but I do believe. I believe. Help thou my unbelief. That man didn't heal his demon-possessed son, but he did believe enough to put his faith in God, in Jesus Christ, who healed with great power his demon-possessed son, who all his life had been tormented by the devil. Right? And so there is a part in it for us but it's not to keep ourselves, it's to keep our eyes on the Lord by faith. The just shall live by faith. Right? We're saved by grace through faith. We live by faith. 
We're gonna, we, you know, Moses endured as seeing him who's invisible by faith. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose because he saw that inheritance incorruptible and that reward that was coming. And so he didn't make it happen. He didn't strengthen himself to, to lead the children of Israel out of the wilderness and to fight off Pharaoh. And he didn't drown Pharaoh's armies in the Red Sea. He didn't make manna come down from heaven. He didn't make water come from a rock. Moses didn't have to do all of those things. That was not his responsibility. His responsibility was to keep his eyes on the Lord. And that's your responsibility. That's how we're kept by the power of God. His might to keep us. What do I have to do to be kept by the power of God? Keep my eyes on Jesus. You remember when Jesus went to his hometown, Nazareth? He was in his public ministry. And it says he could not, he, he would, did not do any miracles there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Is, is God, was Jesus just as powerful as ever? Yeah, I'm the Lord, I've changed not. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He could do whatever he wanted. But he could not and did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. He's still God, okay? So that tells me I need to trust the Lord. And, and the Lord helps us to trust the Lord. He helps us. He says, God does not pledge himself to work independently of our faith. Next door neighbor of yours that doesn't believe in Jesus who share the gospel. I don't believe that stuff. He's not going to go zap him and make him saved, is he? We're saved by grace through faith. And God does not promise to work independently of our faith. He will work to strengthen our faith. He will work to prove himself that he's God. He'll show us the scriptures and the fulfilled prophecies. The Holy Spirit, a promise, will work on our hearts and minds. But the, the man has a choice to believe or not believe. And a believer has a choice in any given circumstance or situation to believe or not believe. According to your faith, so be it unto you. That's what Jesus said. According to your faith, so be it unto you. I'm going to close with this, y'all. And it's encouraging to me. All right? It's encouraging. We're closing with verse 5. But this is such an important verse. We're kept by the power of God through faith. Unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, okay? And I'm just going to read a few quotes. Jesus, I trust your keeping power. Ask the Holy Spirit to keep you so constantly in this attitude that it may become the habit of your soul to look to Jesus when temptation assails. That needs to be our habit. That is something we can grow in, right? We're already born again. We're already saved. If we're saved, we're saved. But as we go along with the Lord... Temptation comes our way. It's going to come tonight before you go to bed. It's going to come tomorrow morning when you wake up. And our habit needs to be more and more and more. It's an increasing, all right, ever-increasing faith that my habit is more quickly and more routinely and more regularly to quickly look to Jesus and not try to get myself out of this temptation or fall into the sin and then say, oh, no, what have I done? God, forgive me. He will do that. But I promise he wanted to keep you and me before we ever fell into it. And then we need to let that be our habit. Trust him to keep you trusting. Nourish your faith by devout meditation on the promises of God. Do not look at your weaknesses or your foes, but the mighty power of God's salvation. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord will do it. I will water it every moment lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. Surely, it would, he says, it would be the height of blasphemy. I want to close with this. It would be the height of blasphemy to affirm that the Almighty is not able or willing to keep the soul that trusts in Him. So think about it. That would be blasphemy. That God's not able or unwilling to keep the soul that is trusting in Him. But He couldn't keep them. The devil just got him out of my hands. Or their will was too strong, whatever. And the soul that trusts in the Lord, He is both willing and able to help us. And He desires to do that. So trust Him to keep you trusting. Ask Him to strengthen your faith. As it comes down to a question of faith, not me perfecting myself, but me by faith keeping my eyes on Jesus in every situation. In the storm, those disciples said, Lord, don't you care that we perish? Their eyes were on the storm. He says, 
Peace be still. And then they were looking at him. Now they're not thinking about the storm. The storm's gone. The sea's like glass. The winds have stopped. There's no more waves crashing over the boat. Well, he was there all along. But they were looking at the storm before, and now they're looking at Jesus. He wants us to look at it and keep our eyes. And guess what? There'll be another time where I don't, and you don't. But I want it to be more and more like this. You know what I mean? Like more and more keeping my eyes on the Lord. More than yesterday, more than last year. I want to do more and as a church. So do you come up? You know, we're just going to stand up. We're going to praise the Lord. He says, the consummation of our salvation, which is going to be ours at the coming of the Lord. It's already finished. It's prepared. But it waits to be revealed. And we are going to receive it by faith. And we are going to be with the Lord by faith one day. And I just pray that every time we gather, like this we're doing tonight, that God would strengthen our faith in Him. I pray you're stronger in Jesus tomorrow than you were today. And I pray that for myself. I thank the Lord that I don't have the responsibility to keep myself. He, I, he were kept by the power of God. I know I'm saying it over. I want to encourage myself with that. We're kept by the power of God. Nothing, no one can pluck us from the Father's hand, Jesus said. But I just have to keep my eyes on the Lord by faith. Even when it's hard to see, because the darkness is creeping in. So Father, we just come before you tonight. Just lift your hands again and worship the Lord. And you kneel and pray. Find your place at the altar for a few minutes tonight. I know the Lord wants to strengthen our faith. I know He wants to cause us to be the head and not the tail. I know He wants us to more regularly walk in victory over temptation. The fact that we're kept doesn't mean we're kept, that we're never tempted. It means that we're kept in our hour of temptation by the power of God. Thank you for your power. There's not a greater power in all the earth, in all of creation, in all of the universe. Nowhere to be found is there a greater power than our God and our Savior. And we're kept by that power all the way to an inheritance, inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away. You have reserved it in heaven for us, and you're keeping us and reserving us and guarding us to where you make sure we receive it one day. I thank you, Lord, for that. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your power. Just magnify the Lord. Magnify Him for His power. Magnify the Lord for His goodness. His purpose in your life is to make you holy and obedient and bring you to that inheritance. If, if sons, then heirs. We're heirs of God. And I thank you, Lord, that this world is not our home. And I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to occupy our days and nights and time building up treasures in this life. They're going to corrupt. They're going to pass away. We thank you for the nice things you bless us with, but don't let us ever ever set our hearts upon the Lord is our portion Lord you're our portion in our inheritance I thank you God that you're all that we need and I pray you make it real when I say Lord you're all that we want make that real to me and to us God that you're all that we desire Lord in Jesus name thank you Lord.